0: Welcome Historical Baptist FC, Life and Ministry from a Historical Baptist Perspective. I'm Robert Klotz, Senior Pastor at First Baptist Church of Talladega, Alabama. I'm Heath Walton, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church of Talladega, Alabama. And welcome to a brand new season of Historical Baptist FC. Uh, and We are uh, excited to be starting the first episode on the inspiration of the scriptures. We said in our little teaser preview thing at the end of last season uh, before we started, uh, going into this season that we're going to be talking about the fundamentals of Christianity. Uh, and so we want to start with the inspiration of scripture. I think a lot of times when we talk about the inspiration of scripture, if I'm honest, when I evaluate things, I think we skip over that doctrine about scripture. I think we move quickly to inerrancy, sufficiency, authority, and all those things are really, really important. But without inspiration, um, None of those things have their groundwork, and it is the inspiration of the Scriptures that, that not only lays the foundation, but that implies all of these other things that are true. So why do you think that it is so e- easily skipped over? I think maybe we take it for granted. We take it for already understood. We talk about the Bible as God's word, um, and then we just move on to the implications of that. But I think that in the current day and age, across the theological landscape, and sadly, uh, especially amongst evangelicals today, you've got to first define what you mean by God's word because there's a a pretty wide swath of variation, uh, even amongst evangelicals, about what we mean by Uh, the Bible being God's Word or the Bible being inspired. I was thinking about that, and I was on my way home from the grocery store
1: just thinking through the podcast, and I was thinking about all the things that have come up in the recent, you know, few, three, four years, controversy within the SBC, and all of them can boil down to this issue. Um, Then I got to thinking about different controversies that have happened over decades, All of them boil down to this issue. And then I got to thinking about uh, the ultimate, if you would, controversy that took place in Genesis uh, chapter
0: 3. Absolutely. It boils down to this issue. Did God really say? Yeah. And so, I, you know, I think that's where we need to start with a basic definition. When we say that the Bible is inspired, when we talk about the inspiration of Scripture, we mean that God wrote the Bible. Now, that's a drastic oversimplification. And again, you get into some sticky situations when you don't more carefully define that. Yeah. There are a lot of different views about how exactly... Uh, God inspired uh, his word to be written, um, and all of them are really you know they 're worth examining. Grab a theology book, grab a theological dictionary, and look at some of those um, I think what what both of us would say is the um, historical and most accurate position is what we would call verbal plenary inspiration yeah um, plenary meaning. <coughs> all of it, all right, so Mm -hmm. if plenary sessions are the sessions we all attend, then a plenary view of inspiration means all of the text of the Bible is inspired, and when we say verbal, we mean each word is inspired by God. Um, So every single word in Scripture is inspired directly by God. Now, just to give you sort of, you know, again, not to go through every single view and across, you know, every single uh, bit of the spectrum, but uh, on the... Um, I get well I, on one side of sort of that verbal plenary understanding. You would have what you call dictation theory, mechanical dictation, w- right? Which mm-hmm. is where God um, literally gave every single word, and and you know he said write this, and they wrote that, and he said write this, and they wrote that. Now, where we have to be careful is there are some parts of Scripture where that's exactly how it was inspired. God said, say this, or Mm -hmm. God said, write this down. Hear the word of the Lord, thus says the Lord. Exactly. And so you have some cases of dictation, but not all of it is written that way. The parts where there was dictation and the rest of it is inspired verbal plenary. Mm -hmm. Um, On the other side of that, you would have views like, I'm pulling up Gruden's book just to, um, Grudem, I say that wrong all the time, not the old Raiders current, I think Bears coach John Gruden, but Wayne Gruden. If he's connected to the Bears, I don't pay attention to I, it. I, I saw on uh, some social media today that he just got hired by the Bears, but I don't even know if that's true. Anyway. Compact, go. Anyway. On the other side of that would be sort of the illumination theory that um, God gave the biblical writers just a heightened illumination or understanding of spiritual things so that they were more spiritually discerning and wrote in a more spiritual manner, uh, a sort of heightened spiritual sense than a normal human being would normally write. Um, that that's, you know, on what I would say the lesser or maybe even more liberal kind of view. So verbal plenary is is where we think is firmly within the stream of orthodoxy. And there's another
1: step that that one actually takes where people believe that this is merely the words of men that contain truth.
0: Yeah, well, and that, you know, when we move from... Um, into the the 2000 Baptist faith and message, that was one of the things that Southern Baptists wanted to clear up: is that um, the Bible is not a record of the Word of God; it is the Word it is of God, the Word of God yeah. um, and, and, and it does not contain truth. It is it is truth. truth exactly, exactly. So
1: one of the one of the verses I think that best explains this is in Second Peter one twenty and twenty one, where it says, "Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture come from comes from someone's own interpretation." Now here is verse twenty one. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And I think that gives us the best picture of what uh, that verbal plenary inspiration is, is that men, writing in their own style, writing in their own personality, were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They wrote the Word of God.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think we have to, with a lot of other things too, you have to you have to stick with the truth that you know and believe to be true and orthodox while at the same time saying there's some level of mystery here that I'm okay with. Yeah. You know, you might ask the question, well, I I can imagine what, um, a mechanical dictation would feel like God saying write this or maybe you know my hand just moving and my mind doing nothing mm-hmm. uh, I can imagine what it might feel like to have this heightened sense of illumination of spiritual things I'm just more spiritually aware the good music's going and I'm just writing in a real, real spiritual vein right I can imagine what those things feel like it is difficult to imagine what it feels like to write in your own personal style yet what you are writing every single word is inspired by God himself God breathed that's a difficult thing to picture what that would have felt like for those guys. And, of course, you can't talk to one of the apostles or Moses or David to find out what that would have felt like. Not yet, anyway. Um, one you know, one day when we get to heaven, maybe we'll ask them h- how that felt. But you just have to be okay with that level of mystery. Just because you don't know exactly what that would have felt like doesn't mean it's it's wrong. And I think you've just hit on a point
1: of why this is such a challenged doctrine, even though many times we just assume everyone believes it. In fact, I would argue that, Most people who profess to be Christians would argue that the Bible is the Word of God. Mm -hmm. But um, for those who have great issue with the miraculous, those who believe that everything has to be reasoned out, if I can't grasp it by my reason, then I have to reject that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's where we're seeing this play out, where we have this controversy that arises, is people were so caught up in, in enlightenment inspired um, you know ration and reason that they just rejected this. And you see this in in movements like the ones where they try to find the historical Jesus and things like that. Well that couldn't have happened, so we don't accept that part. And then you get into higher criticism where they, they put themselves over the text to determine which parts are, the Bible is actually what God said and which ones aren't and all that. So you come into that because I believe in that right
0: there, is is they can't handle the mystery. Um, yeah, you know, I think another reason you get into some controversy, and this is sort of a controversial question I remember getting asked uh, even in a Bible <clears throat> college theology class, is... Um, Can you tell the people in the pews of your church that the Bible they're holding in their lap is God's Word? It is the Word of God. And I think that's an important issue to address. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly when you're talking about English translations of the Greek and the Hebrew, we don't mean to say that the English is inspired, or that those translators were uh, inspired in the same way that Moses and the apostles and David were when they wrote. However... I do believe that God's protection over his word and the promises he makes about keeping his own word. Um, Jesus makes some of those in the Gospels. You have others there famously at the end of the book of Revelation. I think that those promises about how God keeps and protects his own word and preserves his integrity means that while while it is the original manuscripts that were literally you know in that way in that moment inspired as the authors were writing. In as much as you have a biblically faithful translation, you can still say this is God's word. Mm-hmm. Um you know, even though even though the Holy Spirit wasn't inspiring the guy who was typing this into the computer. Does yeah. that make sense? Is that a fair way to say that?
1: Well you know the other question that I would I would ask back to someone who would have those kind of protestations uh, is you know, if you don't trust that God can protect his word, why do you trust him for anything? Mm-hmm. If he couldn't do that, then mm-hmm. then how can you even expect for him to protect or provide for you? Yeah. I know that may be a little bit of an, an extreme turnaround on the question, but I think it should cause you to think is, yeah. can God do that?
0: Yeah. Well, and I think, yes, we could get into the weeds of, like, dissecting the gnat of, of where yeah. where you would put inspiration versus English translations and whatever else. But I think you can faithfully say the Bible I hold in my hand is the Word of God um, because he, he protects it and oversees that process and is, is sovereign even in all of those things.
1: And in all of those instances where people say, well, see, there's a translation error there, those mistakes, they're they are not big mistakes. That They're mostly grammatical. They're not... It hasn't actually changed. It doesn't change anything about the message of what
0: is being spoken. So it is the word of God. Um, well, now you, you use the word mistakes, which is an interesting term because we'll get into that, of course, yeah, well, in the next episode when we talk about in uh, inerrancy, inerrancy. Uh, mistakes in translation versus errors in the text. But yeah, we'll, there's a we'll big difference. For,
1: we'll get there. Hey, there's a you know a nice little teaser for the next episode. Is that the next one? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Why not? Naturally. Uh, and so, you know, we we have scripture. Speaking of scripture, we know the best way to interpret scripture is against scripture itself. So, 2 Timothy three sixteen, all scripture is breathed out by God. Uh, old translations use the phrase or the term "inspired." Um, of the terms that we're going to be talking about, that's the only one that's in a in an English translation is "inspired." So, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction for training in righteousness that the man of god may be competent equipped for every good work um for me just the way that i believe this does not leave room to deny divine inspiration but one of the other issues that that i've seen it's not new by any means but it's rearing its head again is that some portions of scripture are more inspired than other portions of scripture namely the red letters. Um, so, what do you do? What do you? How do you respond to someone who is arguing that we really should just be paying attention to Jesus and not the rest of it? Or, as that man said in the debate to Owen Strayan, "I love Jesus and I tolerate Paul." Uh, what do you? What do you say to? Someone? Yeah,
0: I think you're hitting on exactly why we would say that this doctrine of inspiration. <laughs> uh it's easy to skip over, but it's never prudent to skip over it or take it for granted because um again w- when we talk about what are uh what are the main card fights in evangelicalism today you're talking about sufficiency and inerrancy right yeah. those are the two things but So much of it boils down to what you believe or don't believe about inspiration, Um, and and that's why you you can't just skip over this. To believe in the doctrine of inspiration, and particularly to believe in the historic orthodox position of verbal plenary inspiration of the text, means that you believe that God wrote the whole book plenary— All of it, Mm -hmm. that all of it is his word, which means I don't get to ignore certain sections while I ascribe to others. It also means Votie is is uh, famous for saying things along the lines of, uh, particularly in uh, apologetics against uh, the sexual revolution and and homosexuality, LGBTQ issues uh, and the like that um, Jesus never said anything uh, about homosexuality. He says there's two big problems with that. Uh, Number one, when when Jesus says pornea, uh, he's referring to sexual sin, including that. But more importantly, if Leviticus said it, Jesus said it. If Paul said it in his epistles, Jesus said it. You have a bad view of the inspiration of the Scriptures if you think that Jesus only said certain parts of of this book. The whole thing is written by God. Jesus is the Word, right? Um, and, and so this whole book is about Him, but it's also by Him. Yeah. Jesus didn't just speak the words in red. Jesus spoke the whole thing. Father, Son, Holy Spirit spoke the whole thing. Um, you're talking about um you know this is god's word that that means it's trinitarianly i don't think that's a word trinitarily um, maybe um it, it's it's his word he he said it god said this father son and holy spirit said this to us um i i i'm ha- hold in my hand right now a red letter edition but i i i kind of like that uh, crossway and and others don't publish as many red-letter editions as I think they used to. Mm-hmm. I think every King James I've ever held is is red-letter. I know they have, you know, some of the publishers of King James right now also don't have red-letter or, you know, have other non-red-letter editions. But, um, you know what, I, I think there's, even if it was on accident or by happenstance, I think there's some wisdom in that. Because, yes, it's it's neat to be able to, you know, flip through the Gospels and see, oh, here's where Jesus spoke. But in reality, if I'm thumbing through the Psalms, the Holy Spirit carried David along to write this, which means... We should just have a red-letter Bible with every word being read. It, it, it's all his word, and, and I don't get to differentiate. And as you said, uh, the example that, that you used of, uh, I love Jesus, but I tolerate Paul. Well, then you don't love Jesus because Jesus was speaking through Paul. Yeah, Paul by the actually Holy Spirit. says that.
1: that yeah. The things he's teaching, he did not learn from men. Uh,
0: he learned from God. That that means I don't get to deny certain mm -hmm. sin issues. It means I don't get to deny certain doctrines. It means I don't get to say, "Listen, I don't like the way that Paul chose to structure the church." But thankfully, Jesus said, "I'll build my church," and so we can build it anyway. You know, is that a real argument you've heard? Yes, because that was that was pretty funny. (laughs) Sorry. Um,
1: I wish that the listeners could see the way you snapped your neck when you said that. I had a little attitude with it. It was pretty funny.
0: Um, but I, you know, I think that's the exact argument that the guy that you're quoting, referencing from uh, that that Zoom interview or whatever, mm-hmm. um, w- was saying that that he doesn't. He wants to ignore Paul because you know Paul Paul didn't write a lot of things that he he agrees with, but he agrees with all that Jesus was saying. Well, again, if you disagree with anything in this book, you're disagreeing with what God is saying. Yeah. It also implies all kinds of things, like um, you know, the need for systematic exposition. I want to say from the pulpit on Sunday mornings what God has said, and I don't just want to pick pet passages. Uh, the whole thing is important because this is all God's Word. Um, It it means things like, uh, you know, if it is God, or because it is God's Word, thanks R.C. Sproul, because it is God's Word, not if, uh, it is inerrant. Because it's God's Word, it is authoritative. Because it is God's Word, it's sufficient. All the rest of those doctrines build on this fundamental truth. So what we see today is a lot of people who are
1: Professing that the Bible is the Word of God, yet practically they're not living in that way. They're not
0: truly believing that, and so, uh, well, you, that's a word that comes up a lot today too, as far as problems in the church. And that's not new, but the problem of pragmatism yeah. instead of obedience.
1: Yeah. And so, what we have is a statement that I, that I had to look up things about and find out what in the world he meant by this. So I was reading that Basil Manley, uh on the doctrine of inspiration. And he's speaking of people who do not hold that the Bible is divinely inspired. Um, Whether they profess it or not, they practically don't hold it. He says the Bible will not be, and I think it's Procrustes or Procrustes. I'm not sure which one it is. But anyway, so Basil Manley said the Bible will not submit to lie upon the bed of Procrustes to be crammed and crowded into the molds of human theories. So Procrustes is this Greek mythological story about stretching or chopping off the legs of a traveler to fit in the beds for their night's lodging. Instead of, you know, sleeping, you know, adjusting to it, we'll just cut the traveler's legs off. Uh, And he's saying the Bible will not be like Procrustes. You cannot just cram it or you know, cut its legs off or whatever the Bible, if it is the word of God, cannot be stretched or chopped off to fit into humanistic theories. In other words, nothing can be added or taken away in order to make it more palatable. The Bible would stand as it is, and one must either conform or reject.
0: Yeah. uh, In other words, I don't get to, um, I mean, I, I can't put it better than him, but, um, You find so many people who are making those kinds of arguments today um, trying to hold sway over the Bible rather than the Bible holding sway over them. Yeah. I don't think that that's that's what that should mean. I don't think that's the way things should be done. I think uh, we can reject this part of Scripture and embrace this part. I think that part should go—whatever. You have decided that you are the authority over the Bible, and if you believe that the Bible is God's Word, that's not a possibility to enter into your frame of mind. Mm-hmm. It's not a hermeneutic you can use to be able to say, this is what I think ought to happen here. It The question and the hermeneutical, uh, the hermeneutical principle you have to abide by is, what has God said? Mm-hmm. And then the application principle is okay, if God said this, then I have to do this. Not what do I want to do? And so what does God say about it? And can we make those two things meld? No, there's one, there's an immovable object in the room if we believe in inspiration, and we do. And that means that everything else changes. Uh, you know, as, as we talk about those fundamentals of Christianity, because this is God's word. It doesn't matter what the culture says, and it doesn't matter what I think. At the end of the day, it matters what God said, and he, he gave us a written record of it.
1: Yeah, and so I was reading uh, The Marrow of Theology Today by William Ames. Um, it's interesting you brought that point up because I was reading that not to prepare for a podcast, just reading it. Uh, and his big thing was that faith and obedience, they, they go together, as in faith is something that works out. Um and that was one of his big arguments
0: was if God has said it, the proper response is, okay, I do it. You know. Well, the old joke about fundamentalists and fundamental Baptists is, well, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. But I want to print that on the back of a T-shirt, man, because yeah, it's yeah. absolutely true. Yes, label me fundamental if
1: you'd like. You know? uh, so w- the other thing I-, I talked about in the text that I sent you was... um. Let's imagine for a moment that the Bible is not inspired. What are the problems that come forth from that now, one of them I have three one of them we will talk about next in the in the next episode okay. not now um that it would furnish no infallible standard of truth, mm-hmm. so we'll leave that one alone for just a minute and we'll We'll save that. Second one it would present no authoritative rule for obedience and no ground for confident and everlasting hope. Mm-hmm. And so Basil Manley said it this way. It would contain advice instead of commands, suggestions instead of instructions, surmises of men instead of promises of God. It would give no firm ground on which to base our convictions, to build our hopes, or to order our lives. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I thought that statement, that's why I wrote it down, That, that sums it up right there. What do you have to lean on at that point? And the third one he put up was, it would offer no suitable means for testing and growing one's faith and drawing the soul lovingly to their heavenly Father. Rather than being a disciple, a learner who sits at the feet of Jesus, right? Of those who would say that the Bible is not inspired. Rather than being a learner who sits at the feet of Jesus, uh, James Bannerman wrote, he comes to the Bible, he sits over its contents in the attitude of a judge who has decided for himself, what in it is true and worthy to be believed, and what in it is false and deserving to be rejected, not in the attitude of a disciple who within the limits of the inspired record fills himself at Jesus' feet to receive every word that cometh out of his mouth. So what does it speak to the pride of men when the doctrine of inspiration is rejected?
0: Yeah, it means that I think that I can hold sway o- over the text. Now, I, I think, sadly... You have this practically applied more than it would ever be theologically fessed up to.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and it, and it's in all the different categories we'll be talking about. It fleshes itself out through all of those. It permeates it.
0: And it leaves. It leaves a power vacuum, mm-hmm. and power vacuums always have to be filled with somebody or something. Yeah. And I think if we're honest, and and again, the reason we we wanted to you know, sort of change directions and start from the basics this season and all those things is because I think you see a lot more of that than anybody would fess up to in evangelicalism right now. Yeah. That's, that's, you see a practical denial of inspiration from people who would say the Bible is God's word, but they don't practically mean that people who would call themselves the people of the book. Yes. And so you end up with that power vacuum of who's in charge. What direction are we going? What are we going to decide about this? What are we going to do about that? Um, Whose opinion should we listen to? What is the world going to think of us? All those sorts of things. You've got this power vacuum. Who's going to be in charge? Is the culture going to rule? Are um, our best and brightest denominational politicians going to rule? Are our biggest churches going to rule? Are our biggest financial donors going to rule? Who's going to be in charge? Is the loudest voice in the room going to rule? Who's in charge? Well, the answer is simple if you believe in inspiration. The Bible's in charge, and we do what it says. But now, I think, sadly then, You not only see this in terms of denominational politic and evangelical, you know, lobbying and gerrymandering and flippity floppity around. You you've also got it. I can't find my words. You've also got it in local churches now. It has bled into local churches where you've got. Do you think? Let's pause for a second. Do you think that? It started
1: at a denominational level and led to local churches or it is might it starting be starting in way around. local churches and, and bleeding into denomination. It might be the level.
0: other way around. It, it's for me, it's hard to put my finger on. I, I would I would tend to say in timeline it seems to have started more in local churches and sort of bled into those other structures. But at some point it's a cultural thing amongst the evangelicals. And so wherever it came from, what you've got is what we talked about on those bigger levels, but then even at the local church level and, and honestly. Social media, sadly, is a place you're going to see these kinds of things all the time. Well, I just don't think that's true. Yeah, the Bible didn't ask you no. if you thought it was true. <laughs> no, and that I mean, you see that when and listen, I'm not trying to get on on you know some sort of pastoral high horse or whatever because I you know I. This is not me complaining because somebody came up and complained about the sermon last Sunday. Nobody's complained about my sermon last Sunday. I'm not uh, mad. By the way, I need to meet with you after this about your sermon last Sunday. <laughs> <That's>, I'm not <laughs> mad. I'm not angry. That, that I'm not you know ranting and raving because of that. What I'm saying, though, is that you do have a trend of people coming up to their pastors and saying, well, preacher, I just don't agree with that. Yeah. And sometimes you get pastors who've gone way out in the left field and said who knows what. But if they've been faithful to preach the word, I didn't ask you if you agreed or not, and neither did the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: So going back to that where it may have come from thing, that that just made me start thinking like, okay, who is it that influences local church pastors? Uh, and usually it's your celebrity types, right? Um, And seminaries. And seminaries. Uh, And so one thing I was thinking about just then, of course...
0: We're not starting a
1: war. No. Uh, One thing I was thinking about, though, was let's just think about some practical things in church life. So, um, of course, your area in in your doctoral studies was revitalization. Mine is in basically church health and growth. Um, So because some men wrote these books, that every one of them, as far as I know, after reading all of their books, all of these books, they would all profess the Bible to be the Word of God. And yet, in many of these books, you would see a shift in in church polity because they believe it works, a shift in the mission and the message of the church for some because it works, a shift in um. You know, basically how the church just carries out ministry
0: because it works. Yes. It's a move um, to pragmatism over obedience. Yes. By the way, to use an example that was central in my passage, uh, my my sermon a couple of weeks ago. um, Gideon doesn't conquer the Midianites if he goes with what works. Yeah. Yeah. Whoever went into battle with a pot, a candle, and a trumpet, that's not pragmatic. No. That is stupid battlefield strategy. Yeah. It's not going to work pragmatically. Mm -hmm. But the issue for Gideon wasn't pragmatism. uh, It was obedience. They
1: didn't go around and do surveys and and look at all these other battles. Oh, now you're meddling. Uh, You know... You know, guys who's never been in battle, or maybe we're only in battle for two minutes or so, going around doing surveys to find out. You
0: can't possibly be referring to anything specific.
1: (laughs) No. Uh, Trying to find out if it works. So, yeah, I think that's where we're seeing the the practical.
0: The doctrine of inspiration means you have to choose obedience over pragmatism.
1: Yeah, and so that's where we're starting to see the practical side of what I'm talking about. And, of course, it bleeds into sufficiency. And so we have to start with inspiration. Is the Bible the Word of God is the ultimate question. And if it is the Word of God, how must we respond Mm -hmm. in faith Mm -hmm. and obedience? Um, I don't really have much more to say on the inspiration. Me neither. All right. If you have any questions, that'd be kind of cool. I don't know how you contact us, but Twitter? Tweet Robert. I don't really have it. Uh, what is your Twitter handle? Well, we have we have an Instagram page still too, don't we? You can find we us. We do Instagram. comment um, comment on a post. Hold on, I'll. Get, <laughs> I have not memorized. What our? Just look up Historical Baptist FC on Instagram. You can find it. Yeah, it should be there somewhere.
0: Um, it, Who are we kidding? Most of our listeners know us personally.
1: Yeah, it's at Historical Baptist FC at Historical Baptist FC. If you got a question, comment, fits of rage, whatever, uh, just send us a message on Instagram, and we'll we'll do our best to respond. Either personally or on the next podcast so next one we will cover biblical inerrancy you're gonna give any kind of Inerrancy is my jam
0: inerrancy is my jam well there we go